Good evening and welcome to this Friday's edition of Stockwatch. I'm Zanati Guma. And joining me to wrap this week up are Roy Mutooni from APSA Asset Management and Willem Oldervacher from Nitrogen Fund Managers. Thank you to the both of you for joining us. Roy, starting with you and with that U.S. inflation print that came out on Wednesday. Um, I'd like your thoughts on it because some analysts are saying that, you know what, We've been at peak levels for a while. This is just a new peak. So it's not really surprising. Your thoughts? So I, I, I think I agree with you that um, we've seen peaks and this is a record. I don't know since what year. But I think the, the, the disturbing thing about this, this, this print was how much it, how, how broad it was um, in terms of components. And also, when you look at which components are, were still rising, it's the stickier ones. So, so U.S. CPI, about 30% of it is basically accommodation, so rental and home ownership. Um, and and, and, and that, that, that's continuing to increase, and it's sticky. Rents don't come down very quickly, and that is the real concern. And, and why it's a concern is that if the Fed continues to hike rates, to address this, then there's real pain coming for houses. Um, and, and, and I think that's what the market is grappling with. Um, does the Fed really want to impose this level of pain on households? Um, and, and for how long? I, I think that, 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 that to me was the most significant thing about this. So, Willem, then, would that signal a kind of inflation being entrenched for longer? Yes, I think what's happening, there's a knock-on effect. As Roy pointed out, inflation used to be food and transport, which the Fed combats with higher interest rates. But because uh, they hike interest rates, people's home loan payments go up, which is quite a difficult cycle. So the Fed ultimately, I think it's now safe to say, reacted too late and um, made a policy, policy error. And to fix that is very difficult because the instrument they have to fix it, which is interest rates, is um, going to start causing inflation, and this becomes uh, stagflation. So there'll be lots of inflation with high interest rates, um, high, high interest rates, and then, of course, uh, low economic growth, which is incredibly tough on the consumer. So you enter a recession or if it lasts long enough, a depression. So, yeah, a very negative print up of the U.S. Uh, on Wednesday. Mm. All right. You know, the, as much as, yes, inflation is, you know, quite rampant right now, very sticky um, at its peaks, but there's consensus that it will go down next year. So some analysts are saying that it will settle below 3%, while some are actually saying that um, it will settle above 3% where we get to a point uh, where uh, it kind of settles at a higher base than what we are used to. What, what's your view on that, um, uh, uh, What's your base scenario? So, so I think the way to think about this is that what the Fed is trying to control is inflation expectations. So, so what they want is to avoid a situation where people observe high inflation and expect it to continue rising, in which case they'll go and ask for higher wages um, and then it spirals beyond control. And, and the problem with that is everyone becomes short term rather than long term. So it is true, in all likelihood, with an aggressive Fed, you will have inflation coming back, coming down. But it's very difficult to tell to what extent. And, and that's the breakdown that we have right here. We, we look at the, where, where the long-term yields are saying, the long-term yields are saying, you'll actually start cutting rates um, late next year, whereas the short-term rates are saying, you're going up, you're going up and you may actually bring in a recession. 
So, so I think all the Fed wants to do is to say, we want to take control of the narrative again. We want to get back our credibility and we want to manage expectations. And the only way you do that is by continuing to hike until it's clear you are controlled. Yeah. Roy, you talk about yields. Uh, Willem, are you worried at all about this prolonged inversion of the yield curve that we are seeing between the two and the 10-year U.S. Treasuries? No, I think it gives you a good indication of the economic health of the U.S. But um, ultimately, medium to long term, they will uh, invert the other way and um, be back to a normal sort of straight up yield curve. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, the big movements on uh, the JSC today. Of course, um, the big news is uh, the uh, potential buyout um, of Telcom by uh, MTN. So Telcom share price really um, on a rocket to space. Roy, uh, looking at this, I mean, what would be uh, the implications for each company? Okay, so if I start with Telcom, um, Telcom's made it very clear over the past one year that they believe their asset is incredibly undervalued. Um, their combination of assets that the market doesn't actually recognize, and I tend to agree with them. I mean, they're trading on an EV EBITDA multiple of like 2.7, whereas comparable companies will trade at least double. And if you break it up into some of the parts, I mean, OpenServe should, if you compare the valuation of OpenServe with what CIBH and Vodacom got, which is about 13 times, then it tells you that they do have a point there. Um, so, so they've tried different ways of realizing that value. And initially, they wanted to list the tower, tower assets. Didn't work because of market volatility and they couldn't work out a deal. So it's clear they're looking for a way of um, fixing, fixing this undervaluation. From the MTN side, MTN doesn't have much in terms of fiber assets. Um, they've probably got the best mobile network in South Africa, but they don't have any fiber assets. And Vodacom have, have stolen a march on them. Now, the thing about fiber is it requires a lot of capital. And really, in this country, it's basically MTN and Vodacom that have that money. So we've always expected that a deal between Telcom and MTN around OpenServe, similar to what Vodacom and Remgo are doing, would be in the offering. But now it seems like they want to buy the whole thing, which, which brings a lot of the other assets into play and also seems to suit what, what, what Telcom were trying to do in one, one fell swoop. So I think it's a logical one. It's not a simple deal. I think there's a lot of complications, a lot of water to uh, flow under the bridge. But um, yeah, the market seems to like yeah. Um, there has been a worry recently on the slide that we've seen in the telecom shares. Uh, of course, uh, the, the financial metrics from uh, their latest results also having something to do with that. Willem, at this point, should you be kicking yourself if you'd sold uh, your shares in telecom uh, when it was on uh, the kind of downward skid? No, I don't think so. I think the results weren't very good. And um, this offer, even though the share price today is up, I think it's about 30 percent, is incredibly speculative. Okay. Um, Roy alluded to it, but there are there are three or four things that really are going to be a hampering here. Firstly, the government owns 40 percent of the telecom, which means they would have to agree to sell to MTN or pretty much convert their telecom stake to a smaller MTN stake. Then there's the mobile business competition, because we only really have four big providers, South Sea, Vodacom, MTN, and Telcom. So I think the Competition Commission wouldn't be happy about this. And then lastly, the Spectrum auction just take, took place. 
and MT would be taking a big chunk of spectrum from Telcom as well in the deal. So I think the chances of this deal going through as it was sort of hinted to in the cautionary this morning are very slim. I think what Roy said in terms of OpenServe being bought out, which would be a completely different transaction, maybe a special dividend from Telcom or something like that. So if, if honestly, if I didn't sell my Telcom by now, I would sell it today because I think um, the you know, it's, it's pure speculation that the share price movement today. <laughs> all right. Um, quite interesting that all of this is happening uh, in a time when a telecom is also making board changes. I mean, we have, uh, for example, Mteto Nyati, who is the former CEO of MTN, uh, SA and Ultron, um, coming in as an independent uh, non-executive director. The deal isn't final yet. So, Roy, I mean, are you saying that without MTN, because you are saying that telecom um, has considered itself as undervalued. So are you saying that without telecom, then... Um, without MTN, then Telcom would not have much upside to it, even with everything that we are seeing, uh, board changes and also just how they're going about trying to uh, list uh, SwiftNet and all these other businesses separately. So, so if we look at it from an asset, so Telcom is asset rich. And the thing about it is the growth story in Telcom has been from the mobile assets. It, look, it seems to me that the mobile assets have reached their natural level in a four-player market. They have an EBITDA margin of about 27, 28%. Um, their cash flow break even. Um, so th they're not going to grow aggressively. Okay. The fiber asset needs a lot of money. The, the gyro asset to, 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 to grow it needs a lot of capital investment. And Telcom doesn't have that capital, let's be honest. The balance sheet looks okay now, but um, it's going to be stretched. They don't actually have the ability to invest as aggressively as they should. Mm -hmm. so, so I think um, from an earnings perspective, we weren't expecting significant earnings growth from Telcom over the short to medium term. Uh -huh. But like I said, from a valuation perspective, you can have an argument on a breakup that the sum of the parts um, is not the same as, as, as what it's trading now. Mm. Um, I see the news has also lifted the shares of Vodacom today. Uh, Willem, should Vodacom then be shaking in its boots with the possibility of this deal? Yes, yeah, so I think the biggest threat to Vodacom would be to the, the fiber network from Dog Fiber Africa they acquired. But no, I don't think so. I think yeah. Vodacom and MTN are both deeply entrenched in South Africa, sort of in the mobile space, and I think they'll compete equally sort of competitively going forward. <laughs> Where does that leave South Sea, <laughs> Roy? <laughs> so South Sea, um, Blue just finished their recapitalization. They, they, they've got a very interesting business model. Basically what they did was they got rid of their network, they, they, they got their spectrum together, and what they want to be is this platform company that allows um, MVNOs to roam on their platform using their spectrum and allow other people to roam on their spectrum. So it's a capital light. Um, but reasonable return business. Now, that's that's what they're marketing. Let's see how well that works, but there's clearly a niche for them. Because if you have a network, it's capital intensive. You have to keep on buying towers. You have to keep on investing. If you don't and only have a spectrum, you probably have a quicker way to profitability and higher returns. It's yet to be proven, but to me, it sounds plausible.
Willem, uh, there's a question here on Omnia. Uh, can you ask the panel about the merits of a long-term investment in Omnia? There's actually been quite a lot of interest on Omnia. Of course, uh, people are seeing the success of that turnaround strategy and they even got to a point of having deep pockets. Um, for the year ended March, uh, they posted a cash position of almost 2.5 billion. What are you, uh, how are you looking at that business right now for a long-term investment? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting long-term investment. Um, the management seems really good, and like you say, they, they chose a strategy, implemented it, and it paid off. So that's always a very good, very good sign in terms of the governance of a company. And then in terms of their business, I think it's mainly accusations like chemicals and um, uh, fertilizers and explosives. And I think it's an interesting space. To be honest, I think in South Africa it might be limited to sort of a high-quality high uh, mature company with, with little growth but I think they are with their cash balance they can spend capex uh, both organically and acquisitively which would probably probably pay off in the um, sort of in the long term so yes in the long term I think it's quite interesting I don't think it's very cheap now but as, a, as an investment it is a, it's definitely a good proposition yeah and they're definitely talking about big things so they've got this ambitious uh, expansion plan uh, to expand its mining solutions internationally and they're also eyeing growth in uh, their uh, agri bio business um surely roy there's still a strong pipeline for dividends here um yeah exactly like Willem said so, so the thing about stocks like omnia um so high good quality stock but if you look at it returns are probably around cost of capital. So it's cyclical. Um, they've managed it well through the turnaround. Um, and yeah. in all likelihood, because of the commodity cycle and where the fertilizer cycle is going, we're going into a period where top line will come through. And if top line comes through, then in all likelihood, dividends do come through. But here, the caution here is that it's a cyclical stock. It's a low return business, probably fair to fall at current time. Hmm. Um, another company that is exposed to the commodity price movements is NAMPAC. Um, yeah, double-edged sword. They're benefiting from the high uh, aluminium prices, but then also you have these high input costs. But they seem to really be doing well. Um, and they also were able to get an extension on their debt repayment of about 1 billion rand. Uh, Willem, how are you looking at, at NAMPAC at this point? Uh, I like it. I think it's very cheap uh, at the current sort of trading level, both just because of a low P and a, sorry, a high dividend yield. But I think the problem is it's just a highly geared play, almost almost equity beat on South Africa. So that gearing you were referring to, the loan that they got an outstanding sort of payment on, it's just the sort of risk you as an investor want to take that sort of informs your decision. So it's a great company, it's cheap, but the, the prospective returns are that high because they compensate you for the risk of a equity capital raise. Uh, to cover that cost of debt. So yes, I like it. And I think if you sort of want a sort of risky high return play, it's definitely the right place to put your capital. Uh, Roy, do you think they will have to actually uh, go ahead with the rights issue at this point? See, the problem with companies like NAMPAC, which have zero pricing power, um, zero ability to negotiate with their clients, they deal with a few concentrated clients, but again, they're very highly cyclical. Um, and if you combine that high cyclicality with um, an over-leveraged balance sheet, yeah, it's, it's risky. Huh? It, mm. it, it's really risky. And if the cycle goes against you, you're going to bleed. And that's exactly what we've seen with NAMPAC. So these are companies which, through the cycle, I tend to avoid. Um, like Willem says, there's a time when, there's a price for everything. And there's a time when these stocks look incredibly cheap. Right? 
you have the risk profile, it's one to look at. But you could get caught out there with a very highly dilutory rights issue, um, where, which would require you to put in more money after the money you put in. So mm. uh, these ones I tend to stay away from. All right, there's a question on PPC. Willem, how much of a risk appetite do you need to have to go into PPC? Yeah, a lot. Um, it's an interesting company. It sort of came and gone over the last year, like so many big industrial companies. I was looking at share prices, so sorry for, for drifting off topic, but like Rishon, yeah. Aspen, they all came and went at a massive pace, and BBC is just another one of those. Uh, so I think, again, you know, it's sort of high beta, and um, the economy, sort of the, the, the top-down macroeconomic factors aren't in your favor. So I wouldn't buy any, any of those industrials right now. Roy, is it all about the economy um, with PPC or are there certain things that you would kind of chop and change within the business? So, so PPC, solid company, has been around for 100 years, but you know what? You produce a commodity, you produce something that's very difficult to differentiate, and there's all that production that comes from Vietnam and places like that that comes into the country. Our fixed investment levels haven't grown for the past, God knows, 10 years, of give, give, give or take. So, so demand for cement is not growing. So, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, yeah. they've fixed up their balance sheet. They've, they've done a lot of things to organize, reorganize the business and de-risk it. But through the cycle, I would need to see strong infrastructure investment in SA, in Rwanda, and, and Zim um, for me to be particularly excited, especially if I could get to get a low multiple. So, yeah. ideally, again, this is another one, zero price to power heavily capital intensive, um, um, yeah, and, and, and has just gone through the whole um, capital risk, risk scenario. And sticking with you, Roy, I mean, you mentioned Zim and they, they're just dealing with a lot of challenges there, although the demand is there, but then there's that hyperinflation that they're dealing with. I mean, would it not make sense for them to actually get rid of it? It's actually a very profitable business. Mm. And the thing about Zim is that, first of all, there's activity within Zim, but then there's also activity in places like Zambia and Malawi, and they don't have particularly big production. So there's a good export market that actually earns dollars for them. Yeah. So so that that's that's the complexity around okay. around it. Yeah. So so I mean even the Rwanda business does very well, but their primary market is not necessarily Rwanda, it's actually Eastern DRC. Uh. So so it's a complex business, but at the end of the day it's a commodity it deals in a commodity that's hard to price, difficult to move difficult to differentiate. Mm. All right, uh, there's another question here. How do you rate the prospects for the private education players in this market, Willem? Yes, yeah, so I think there are two big ones, Caro and Advitech, that come up. I, I really like Advitech as a stock. I think it's one of the best managed, best run, best sort of placed businesses on the JSC. Unfortunately, it's just like any other equity. It sort of did well and then it sort of come around. And then your other option is Kuro, which I wouldn't buy now because as it gets spun out of PSG, there'll be an overhang. So that's quite difficult. And so in that, that those two stocks, those are the ones I sort of know well. I think I'd choose Advitech over Kuro. And then um, you just need some legs. You need like quite a long time frame to, um, to, to buy equities now. But definitely an interesting space with real demand and sort of real growth. So, yeah, quite good. Quite interesting, Willem, that you say that you wouldn't be buying Stadio. And I think the last time I spoke to you, Roy, you actually chose Stadio as your stock pick. <laughs> Have you changed your mind or are you still there? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, for me, for me, over the long term, what you have here is central government failure 
um, and the private sector standing in um, to, to, to provide a service. Um, Stadio has good top-line prospects. They're, they're supplying their services to South Africa, to Southern Africa, and to a variety of others. And, and the demand for good quality education just doesn't die. Aspirational. We have a young population. That's the biggest thing that is working in our favor as Africans. So to me, so long as they don't go the capital-intensive way that Taro initially went, um, there's, there's definitely something there. But yeah, we're in the point in the cycle where um, you want something that pays dividends, then it's not going to be this. Advertech, yeah. on the other hand, does pay dividends. Um, it's nicely mature, doesn't have a capex cycle in its way, and can actually increase capacity utilization without necessarily investing in more classrooms and units. All right. Uh, just on that, actually, uh, there's a question here on uh, the PSG unbundling and delisting process. Um, if the unbundling at current prices, taking into account the wide sell-off uh, and price decreases, does that still represent value for PSG shareholders, Willem? Yes, yes, it does. So I think at the moment, there's a, it's a two-prong transaction. So PSG will be spinning out, let's say, something in the order of 80 rand of assets and then a 23 rand dividend. So as an individual, I think the dividend is key because there's a 20% withholding tax. But at spot, so I say, I think the sum of those two is about 105. PSG is trading at about 85. So there's a decent sort of margin of safety if you want to buy PSG. Just remember that you end up then with Caro, Stadio, I think it's Cop Agree and KST, PSG Consult. So, yeah. yes, there's definitely value there. It's not a lot, but it's quite a short time horizon. I think it's sort of two months from now and maybe five or six percent. So, definitely still um, a positive IRR on that deal at the moment. Let's talk about uh, some other news that uh, came out during the week, and that was Goldfields um, saying that they will be, um, yeah, they basically reviewed their dividend policy. Now shareholders will get higher returns, and also that uh, they will be, uh, they applying to list on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Of course, this is after uh, their deal to buy out Yamana Gold in Canada. Of course, there's been a lot of uh, negative sentiment on this deal because of the premium that Goldfields is is paying but there's still even with those add-ons there's still general consensus that it doesn't make the deal better the, the deal alone is still um, not favorable Roy um, <laughs> any thoughts on this this seems to be one that management has really hung their hats on and their argument is that um, as, a, as, as, as a natural resource company you have to continuously replenish your reserves as you might um, and sometimes exploration, the return to the exploration assets is very low. So maybe this was one big way that we can that we can take a big step up geographical diversification, get synergies and all of that. So the, the bottom line here is we've come through a big cycle, big commodity cycle. At the peak of the cycle or thereabout, management teams tend to buy assets. That's what they do. You can't pay out all the cash because yeah. you're working yourself out of a job. Um, so you're going to find assets such as these, which may or may not make sense. Now, they've quantified their synergies. They've, they've, they've decided they're going to pay back a lot of dividends, and they're going to list on that TSX, which should bring some comfort in, from the Yamana shareholders. So, yeah, it's, these things happen at the peak of cycles. Yeah. It's, it's the bottom line. So I think management will be hard for the synergies that they're talking about and the upside that they believe will come through. Yeah. All right. Well, we have run out of time, so let's get to your stock picks for tonight. Willem, what will you be picking? 
Um, I'm going to pick the Invicta Holdings preference share. I think equities right now are incredibly risky. And I think it's one of the best bank preference shares of the about 20 we have left on the JSC. So you get a 10% yield. And then there's a potential upside in the fact that they are planning on reducing their debt, which means they could buy out that preference share, which means you get a much shorter maturity than initially sort of stated. So I think it's just an interesting place to sort of almost park your, your capital until uh, equity markets settle down. So yeah, interesting little, little play there. All right. Uh, Roy, what will you be hanging your hat on uh, tonight? Definitely MTN. Just looking at the deal today, looking at MTN, they've got so many things running in their favor. You start with a cheap valuation. Um, they've deleveraged their balance sheets. Their African assets seem to be doing well. I think they're being underpriced because of people's fear about oil and Nigeria and a whole variety of things. And as we go into the reporting cycle, um, I think we'll prove people wrong with the ability to repatriate money, grow their ex-telco businesses, um, and, and pay a dividend eventually. So, for, I mean, my, so, so I think when you look at it short to medium term, this one has multiple, m multiple, area, sorry, multiple sources of value that it can generate for investment. Mm, indeed, uh, definitely one to watch. Thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. That's it for Stockwatch this week. Thanks to my guests, Roy Mutooni from APSA Asset Management and Willem Oldewacher from Nitrogen Fund Managers. From Izanati Kuma and the rest of the team, have a great weekend.